Welcome to the Audit Podcast, the number one podcast for the audit profession. Be sure to check the show notes for all of our social media channels and to sign up for the Audit Podcast newsletter. Now, here's your host, Trent Russell. This podcast is sponsored by Green Skies Analytics, where they do everything tech-related, but only for internal audit. Although compliance and risk management, y'all are cool too, so feel free to check it out also. To find out more, please visit greenskiesanalytics.com, but it's more likely that you're just going to Google it. So to find out more, please Google Green Skies Analytics. This podcast is also brought to you by AuditBoard, the leading cloud-based platform transforming how enterprises manage risk. AuditBoard's integrated suite of easy-to-use audit, risk, and compliance solutions streamlines internal audit, SOX compliance, risk management, and security compliance. Automate processes and improve execution with AuditBoard's purpose-built solution, which is designed to address the most pressing challenges of today's practitioners. Experience the latest in audit, risk, and compliance technology. Visit AuditBoard.com to schedule your product walkthrough to see AuditBoard's award-winning platform in action today. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Audit Podcast. Thank you for joining us. Today on the show, we have Principal Auditor for the City of Los Angeles, Paul Alberga. Some of the things that we hit on with Paul is if he was to start an audit consulting company, what gap would he fill? I think that's an important question that uh, a lot of us should probably think about. It helps, it helps understand what issues there are maybe within the profession or even within your own internal audit department and going, oh, yeah, maybe we should fix that. Um, so maybe that's a, a question to ponder. Maybe a lot of these are, are questions to ponder. Maybe that's what we should call the episode if we haven't already. Um, what's the biggest problem you see internal audit facing right now and how can it be fixed? If the listener should do one thing to make a difference within their audit department after listening to the episode, what would it be? And then lastly, if Paul came on the show a year from now, then what would we be talking about? What's on the horizon? Uh, what's coming up? So super interesting episode. Paul has some very interesting perspectives and it was a pleasure having him on. Here we go. Just a short disclaimer that the views and opinions that are expressed on this podcast today are my own and not that of the city controller or that of the city of Los Angeles. All right. Perfect. Thanks, Paul. Uh, let's just jump right in then. Paul, if you were to start an audit consulting company, what gap would you fill? Oh, I likely would focus on streamlining the fieldwork process. Mm -hmm. um, uh, and the ways that I would do that are pretty much threefold. Uh, first of all, establish a, a very, you know, rigid, but then again, flexible as things come along during the audit process, the audit cycle itself. So depending on the type of engagement and what type of engagement, uh, what the objectives of that engagement are, creating an audit work plan using audit cycle methodologies to figure out, you know, when activities should be ramping up, uh, what type of resources are necessary at each point during the audit. Um, another thing that I would do is try to leverage data and systems as much as possible. I think that's something uh, in government that's Put to the wayside sometimes, yeah. but we want to ensure that you know the auditor has knowledge of the varying different types of data sets and systems that support uh, the sourcing of that data. And then finally, um, I would want to during the fieldwork process sort of put a little bit more emphasis on actually observing the actual work or how the data is actually created. Um, many times people say, "Well, this is the 
this is these are the accounting ledgers that we use or these are the these are the transactions that produce this uh type of a of a data set and in many cases there's a lot of fuzz inside of that and the data cleansing is a very laborious thing as you know Trent so mm -hmm. try to understand the sourcing of the data as it flows through the entire process of whatever system or systems that it's going through to get a full understanding of what is actually being presented or what is actually um, what your findings are actually being supported by. Okay. And not, not to maybe go too buzzwordy on people and they might even be tired of the term already. Uh, back to the first point that you were making, is that more, are you thinking like apply some agile methodology to that? Is that, is that, would that summarize uh, yeah, that first point? It would, it would, I wouldn't say just apply an agile methodology. It would de just depend on the type of engagement more on, you know, when you're doing a compliance engagement versus a performance audit versus, you know, some sort of fiscal review or even, even for fraud investigations. I mean, there has to be um, upfront for each particular type of engagement. Now those, re those types of cycles can be replicatable, you know, multiple mm -hmm. fraud investigations, multiple fiscal reviews, but the, the long-standing sort of methodology of having a midpoint, you know, an entrance conference, a midpoint, and then a finalization, that that's not going to work in a lot of cases, especially with the way that things are moving on the information side nowadays. Got it. And then on the third point about the observing kind of the process, is that something you feel like is maybe easier now assuming uh that folks are remote in terms of or even if you're not remote if you're in the office instead of all right and depending on like i don't know with you guys if that means you have to like literally get into a car and drive down to a process mm -hmm. owner if everyone's in the same building etc i just know i've worked on clients with large campuses where i literally had to drive to go talk to somebody and this was pre-covid and, and everything um when in reality to observe uh someone pulling data as part of our procedures but it would have been significantly easier just to go yeah let's just jump on zoom real quick and show me how you do that you know is that kind of what you were thinking or am i understanding that correctly yeah it's it's a little bit of that but it's more of a double-edged sword on a lot of these uh particular types of engagements that you might run if you're doing an inventory type of review you mm -hmm. definitely want to have some sort of physical evidence uh you know that's a big part of it uh when you're doing more operational performance type auditing, I think it's critical to actually put yourselves in the shoes of the auditee, of the individuals that are actually performing those operations. And in, in most cases, you end up becoming somewhat of a quasi expert on that particular function. But once again, leading back to the original thing and streamlining the audit process cycle, you have to have this broad knowledge of what the overall uh, mission and goal of the particular program is so that you can actually refine your approach to actually talk to the people, uh, observe the people as they're doing the data entry or understanding the programming language and the AI or robotic process automation that's being yeah. put into the process so that you know, I don't need to target the risks on this side. I feel comfortable with what's coming out on the back end, but I do have a concern as to whether or not inventory is being moved and then is a scanner functioning or is there some sort of physical observation on top of that that needs it's very unique to the engagement that you're doing as to the level of uh, detail that you would want to flesh out on these particular areas. And you mentioned operational audits. Um, we have talked about that a little bit on the show. 
but I feel like it's not something you typically hear about, you know, especially if you're in a, like a SOX heavy internal audit department, uh, maybe for, for those that don't know, could you walk us through like what an example of that would look like? Yeah. So in a, you know, an operational audit, may, most of the time they're called performance audits. They're looking at a particular program or a particular uh, objective that a department has. So what you're doing in that particular case is, is you're trying to establish what are the sort of outputs? Uh, this is the approach that I would take is what are the what are the risks up front? That's just general standard audit practice that you would look at the different risks of what could potentially happen. That's not necessarily bad, but that could uh, sort of obfuscate the goals of what you're looking at from an operational perspective. So if the operation is something as simple as, um, you know, an inventory process, like I was talking about before, is the inventory coming in on time? Is it being processed the way it should be processed by whatever policies and procedure? Or what are the best practices? So what you're trying to do is you're trying to find areas of economy and efficiency. And in, in a lot of cases, sometimes the most economic way is not the most efficient and vice versa. So your goal is to try to understand what's actually happening now and what are the actual risks and how those risks can either be mitigated or the process can be improved to sort of not even worry about those risks in the first place. Yeah. Okay. Excellent. What's the the biggest problem that you see internal audit facing right now and how could it be fixed? I would say, you know, not necessarily since COVID, but this has been an ongoing trend for quite a few years now is just the increased reliance that management has on technology and the and the IT uh, side of side of the side of the house. Um, many of the government performance audits that I've performed, they they tend to sort of shy away from digging deep into the actual data, like I mentioned before. Mm -hmm. So um, one thing to sort of like fix this type of an issue would be to obviously increase the IT acumen of the audit staff or the people that are responsible for performing the audit. Um, whether that's requiring audit staff to uh, have prerequisite knowledge of particular areas of IT or the IT implementation cycle, for instance, or if it would be uh, cross-pollinating uh, audit staff with technical staff mm -hmm. so that those networks are sort of harvested and, uh, and grow uh, while you're looking not necessarily at the current audit project at hand, but in the future, if you're going to look at more IT governance issues, for example, or um, different types of cybersecurity audits are, are definitely in need of this expertise. So that's probably the largest one that I would tackle. Okay. Let me ask you, theoretically, you're the CAE of, we'll just say, eight auditors. All of them um, do not have an IT audit background. Is it just training? How would you help bring those those folks up to speed relative to the IT piece? Would it just be like, Hey, if you just know IT general controls, like that's the floor, know that, let's incorporate some of that into our field work or what What kind of approach would you take? Right. Uh, and it, once again, it would depend on the risk as an internal auditor, the risk of the organization uh, that you're, that's in your, that your audit plan or what management um, is providing, you know, guidance as to what they, what they care about. So for instance, if there were eight staff, not a lot of IT acumen, but we're asked to do some sort of cybersecurity audit. The great way to start on that is to start thinking about, well, 
where would best practices or what frameworks have been established that the auditor could read? It, it's not it's not easy in a lot of cases. Mm-hmm. You have to go out and you have to read documents and, and you have to go out and research and talk to people, gain an understanding of what organizations do perform these types of audits on a regular cycle. Okay. Start networking and connecting with those organizations and not necessarily hiring an expert in all cases, but understanding what level of resources it takes to satisfy the objective of what management or what the objective of the audit is. Um, so, so yeah, that that's typically the frame. I would go with the framework approach, I think, on something like that. And I have done that in the past is created audit plans or, or proposals for, for potential audits that using federal standards, federal guidelines, uh, best practices, going to organizations like ISACA, um, looking at COSO, COBIT frameworks and things like that and seeing what could apply to mitigate or to um, address the concerns that the risk assessment of this particular audit has has brought to the brought to the the forefront. Yeah. ISACA has a lot of really good um, work plans and all things kind of tech related in terms of audit. So I, yeah, I think even maybe even first step would be if you don't have that background or the folks in your department don't have that background, join ISACA. And just if you can even just navigate the website and figure out where all the, the goodies are, you know, all the information, all the knowledge, basically, um, I think that'd be a, a really good first step for a lot of folks. Hey everyone, thank you for continuing to listen to the show. We want to say thank you again to our sponsors over at AuditBoard, the leading cloud-based platform transforming how enterprises manage risk. AuditBoard's integrated suite of easy-to-use audit risk and compliance solutions streamlines internal audit, SOX compliance, risk management, and security compliance. Automate processes and improve execution with AuditBoard's purpose-built solution, which is designed to address the most pressing challenges of today's practitioners. Experience the latest in audit, risk, and compliance technology. Visit auditboard.com to schedule your product walkthrough to see AuditBoard's award-winning platform in action today. If the listeners should do like one thing after listening to your episode, they should do like one thing to make a difference within their audit department or their company, what would that be? Probably just with the expediency of what they would want to do is, is try to identify very specific resources or identify the organizations like ISACA would be one or, or somebody who's really familiar with a particular type of process that, that you might that you might not know about, but understand what the short-term sort of goals that you're looking for for your audit shop, whether that is producing reports, doing a risk assessment, um, taking staff to another level of expertise and identifying quickly those resources that are available and start uh, expanding out to those organizations or those individuals to gain some sort of high level knowledge and to gain a little bit of perspective. Um, So if your audit shop is going to start looking at IT implementations, for instance, you definitely want to go talk to some of the other large organizations that have done very sophisticated IT implementations and you would probably also want to look at some of the consulting companies or, or network with some of those folks to see, you know, what they have done in the past, what information is available to sort of guide your way into that particular focus. And then as individuals ourselves, as auditors, looking at what, what are your short-term career goals? Like, are, are you interested in, in getting into, into IT? Are you interested 
in doing more performance type audits? Or do you want to get into government auditing, for instance? Um, understanding that there are networks of individuals and organizations out there that will help you obtain a perspective that you may not necessarily have at that point. And a lot of that information can be as quick as doing a Google search or and making a phone call to to a big four firm or something like that, a contact. So we were talking um, with some audit analytics folks about just issues they're having, et cetera. And it was we we boiled down a lot of the, on the technical side anyway, like how do mm -hmm. we get auditors upskilled um, in analytics? And it's like oh, we had the tools, but then folks would come to the audit analytics manager and go, hey, how do I do this thing in the tool? And they would literally take the question they asked, type it into Google, add the name of the tool, and then go, it's there. <laughs> you know, like, and not, ne not necessarily walk that person through the tool or how to use it or anything like yeah. that, right? Yeah. Okay. When it comes to uh, all the tools that you're likely to hear about when it comes to analytics, someone else has already asked the question or... Um, the vendor themselves have put together some kind of guidelines or uh, something that where you to Google it, you will find the answer. And so for the tools, like the answer is almost always, always out there. So I like how, um, how you said, like, dude, just Google it. Yeah. And I can tell you a little, little funny story about that too. It, it, it comes down to sort of, I, this had to do with the implementation of audit work papers, you know, a few years back and things like that, but you can apply this to data analytics, for mm -hmm. instance, like, so the the sort of analogy that I have is um, how do you ensure that you never have to use electronic work papers ever again? And in your case, it would be how do you ensure that you never would have to run a data an analytics application ever again? Mm -hmm. So what, what would you think? How do you ensure that you'll never have to do that again? How would I ensure that I never have to run a data analytics application? Again? Yeah. How, how would you, if you work for an audit firm, or you obviously have your own audit firm and, and, and you... Uh, you have to run data analytics. It's part of the core competency of what you do. But how would you, if you decided one day, I, Trent Russell, Trent Russell will never want to do use electronic work papers or use data analytics applications ever again. What would be a, a way for you to do that? I would likely outsource it to someone else. Well, or <laughs> you could just become a chief audit executive. It's <laughs> a good point. All right, Paul, uh, let's say you come back on the show a year from now. What are we going to be talking about? What what trends are we going to be talking about? Uh, is it still going to be about agile? Is it still going to be about data analytics or or what's on the horizon? Yeah, in, in the foresight, you know, there's a lot of uncertainty out there. Um, that, you know, there's only so much that each organization can control, but that's where internal audit comes into play is to sort of keep management's eye on the ball on those things and, and communicate those those risks and mitigating factors. So I would say that for most large organizations, such as like the city I work for or large corporations, it's going to be this uncertainty of the external threats and, uh, you know, your relationships with third parties uh, internationally, nationally, whatever they are. And then also how you manage the, the macro and micro environments that are external to your organization. Uh, are you going to be having, you know, periodic uh sort of meeting of the minds meetings with management is is the organization going to have some sort of formalized risk 
uh, matrix that evolved. Um, a lot of a lot of organizations just don't even have that framework, you know, instill in what they're doing. Organizations in three or four years down the road are going to need. Um, well, they're not going to need, but I think that it's not ingrained in the organizations themselves right now. Whether it's going to be you know, at, at an executive level or an audit committee level with a with a risk assessment that's going to be basically focused in on the external threats on a on a macro and microeconomic level, as well as the threats that are coming from external um, from external whether it's suppliers or environmental threats or anything like that. Climate change is another one that's uh, coming down the pipeline pretty fast and fierce on a lot of organizations. So just being able to understand the direction that the regulations are coming in or the actual like state of the economy or the international relations. You know, here we have the, the war in Ukraine, for instance, that's having a lot of trickle down effects on the many different facets of our economy from energy all the way to national security and things like that. So um, understanding that perspective on the external threats and how can you manage them? I mean, you had somebody on your audit podcast recently that was an expert in third-party risk management. So I would definitely look into other experts like that and see, you know, what are the best practices? What are the standards that large organizations could be applying and figuring out what works for you? Yeah. And uh, for those who don't know, that was Linda Tuck Chapman. Um, she was like, I feel like she might have even invented invented TPRM as the acronym. Like <laughs> she's been doing it for so long. I think she was doing it before it even had an acronym. So uh, you're absolutely right. All right, Paul, uh, thanks a ton for coming on. I think you have a, a very interesting perspective that that I certainly appreciate. Um, but with that, what what do you want to say? Like I've asked my questions, <laughs> but what's what do you want to leave the audience with? Well, first of all, I want to thank you for for doing this podcast. It's been very informative for me, all the different episodes that you've had, and I look forward to each one that comes out. But if I had to leave with some departing remarks, if you will, it would be, you know, I want to encourage the audit community, whether you're an auditor or not, uh, depending on whatever uh, profession you're doing or tasks that you're taking, always remember to bring like your true self and a sense of positivity to uh to to the job that you're doing um there are a lot of negatives out there and auditors are typically almost always focused on the negative that's just the nature of the work we're looking to find um inefficiencies and ineffectiveness that we can somehow correct or or make adv or give advice and recommendations to sort of fix those things but when you when you evaluate and you and you look for those negatives always maintain a sense of appreciating what's positive as well. And I think that as I've grown in my career, that's something that's helped me out a lot is that I might be going into a very bad situation or I might be evaluating something that we know has political, economic, or, or social um, maladies that are surrounding the particular issue. But going in and understanding that, you know, you're working for an organization or you're coming in as an external party trying to improve something that people care about, that stakeholders, that management, that the public at large is interested in making better. And that is how an auditor can make their stand to effectuate that change for the positive. 
Hey everyone, thank you very much for listening to this episode of the Audit Podcast. Whatever platform you're listening on right now, I'm sure there's a subscribe button somewhere, so please hit the subscribe button there. If you're listening through iTunes or Spotify, feel free to go give us that five-star rating. It only took me about 16 seconds to give myself a five-star review, and it really helps to get future guests to come on the show, so we'd really appreciate that. Lastly, be sure to check out the show notes and follow us on all our social media channels on Instagram, on LinkedIn, and on TikTok. Also, if interested, please sign up for our weekly newsletter from the Audit Podcast. Thank you all. Have a great one.